said, no plague will come near our dwelling as we abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I pray right now against every plague, against every sickness, against every disease. Thank you that you would keep your church. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Thank you for your presence upon your people. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Thank you, Father, that we will walk in divine health. Thank you for that, Lord God. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Come on. I just needed to pray that. So uh, it's very random, but that's okay. Um, just how it is. Amen. So, hallelujah. You know, the, the day and the time which we're living in, just welcome everyone. If you're here for the first time, welcome. God bless you. We had an amazing time this morning here, amazing time down south with, uh, with David and uh, the south of the River Church. They're really doing exceedingly great. So we thank God for them. Thank God for what's happening here. You know, but the most important thing, what we thank God for is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Most important, more than anything else. You know, the day and the time which we're living in has been of such a nature that Christians have become very careless in what they associate with and what they're involved in. And as a result, they've often aligned themselves with many demonic things. People bring demonic stuff into their households, not understanding what it's about. A lot of people just think these are cultural things or cultural art, different things like that, but they don't understand. Whilst you may think that that person who created that knew exactly what went into that. A lot of times, people live by horoscopes, palm reading, fetishes, fortune telling, horoscopes, all these things. And we think that they're just okay. And it's not about being... Well, you know, oh, that's so boring. What can a Christian do then, Pastor? Well, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Go pray for somebody to get healed and see how powerful that is. Amen. Go lead somebody to Christ, see how powerful that is. I'll tell you one thing the devil cannot do. One thing he cannot do. One thing he cannot do is save a soul and change a person. One thing he cannot do. That's one thing he cannot do. Because even, even in Pharaoh's courts, all those magicians could do, they could do things. But you know what was the great thing? They, they threw their staff down and became a snake. But you know what was great? That when Moses threw the staff down and became a snake, that, sna that ate up all the other snakes. I want to tell you, God is always better. So if you're thinking that there's more excitement in the world, then you just don't know God. But the problem is that we get involved in these things and we think they're just cultural norms. They're not really. So many times people, their lives are blocked because they are putting their faith in practices that are really not godly and sometimes demonic. They put their trust in these things. Now, let's go to Numbers chapter 23, and we're going to read from verse 13. Uh, I'll, I'll just explain some of it. What happens is, uh, I think David preached on it the last week or the previous week, Numbers, 13, Numbers 23, that, that, that Balak, the king, he, he, he employs Balaam, the prophet, to curse Israel. So here's what happens. So Balak said to him in verse 13, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them, you shall only see the outer part of them and shall not see them all or curse them for me from there. So he says he employs him to curse them. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pigash, uh, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt, by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So, so, so God says, this is what you're going to go tell him. He came to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. Listen, Moab, 
All right, get that. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle and said, rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zephor. And verse 19, God is not a man. So here's the point. He's, he, he's, he, he's employed uh, uh, and, uh, to curse Israel, but God meets him on the way. He says, no, this is what you're going to say. And this is what happens. It's a strange story, but we've got to learn from this. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son a man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. Right? So what God blesses, no man can, can reverse, right? Okay. Let's see. Okay. Because sometimes we, we read this, but we stop there. We need to read the Bible. This is not a tweet. It's not a Facebook status. This is the Word of God. Amen. And oftentimes people think, well, what is happening? Why? Uh, you, you know, God said, he bless me, but hold on, there's a blockage here. Let's carry on. And he says, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is, is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. So, so Balaam says, what God has blessed, no man can curse. He says, God has not changed his mind about Israel. And, and he goes back to the king, and the king gets mad. All right? Let's jump to verse 25. And Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So he just says to him, look, just rather back off. Don't say anything. Don't bless them or curse them. Just be neutral. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I, not, did I not tell you, saying, all that the Lord speaks, that I must do? So he's told him, he said, look, I told you what God says, that I must do. I know you employed me to do something else. But here's the point, is that, Balaam then teaches Balak because he could not curse Israel because God's protection was upon them. But he said to them, he said, I will teach you how to defeat the children of Israel. You see, although they were absolutely blessed by God, they were favored by God, and that is consistent with Genesis chapter 12, that God says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So God's blessing is upon the church. God's blessing is upon the people of God. God's blessing says, I will bless you for you to be a blessing to all the nations and all the families of the earth. That's the call of the church and that's the blessing that the church carries. So why are we not seeing it like we should see it in this nation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because let's jump, let's carry on. Because verse uh, chapter 24 talks about the same thing, that how God had blessed Israel, how strong they were, how anointed they were, how blessed they were. But let's go to chapter 25. It says now, now Israel, because here's where the problem lays, is that Israel the, became one with the culture. And because they became one with the culture, they were defeated. Because Balaam said, I will teach you how to defeat Israel. Teach them to become one with the culture. And, and in the book of Revelations, it mentions Balaam. So he taught Balak how to entice the people of God to become one with the culture. So let's read from chap chapter, uh, uh, chapter 25, verse 1. So now, now Israel remained in Acacia gro Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the woman of Moab. Here's the amazing thing. It says they remained there. They remained there. Here is the problem. God has not called us to a maintenance mode because the moment you get into a maintenance mode, you start looking for the things of the world, and you start looking for answers somewhere else. So what happens? They remain there and they start to commit harlotry with the woman of Moab. And yes, verse 2, they invited the people 
to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of God was aroused against Israel. That's how the people of God were defeated, because they, they played the harlot, they offered to other gods, they, they served other gods, they, they aligned themselves with the people of the culture, and they started to do what they culture the cultural norms which were actually demonic and the bible says that the anger of god was aroused against the people of god then the lord said to moses take the leaders so the people sinned the people got involved with all these demonic things demonic activities and here's how god deals with it that's why as leaders, leaders, if you're a leader, and a leader is what? Not that a title, a leader is you know better. A leader is that you have that gift and you know there's a fire within you. That's why leaders cannot be a, a weak and insipid because we're afraid we're going to uh, offend people. Well, rather offend somebody and keep them free of demonic activity than, than allow them to go into the demonic activity. Amen. Here's what God says. He says in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people of Israel. Hang the offenders before God. Yeah, God has no issue with these things. Calls the leaders out and says, Come here. You allowed this to happen. See that noose there? That's for you. That's why leaders need to walk very circumspectly before God. Amen. Amen. Because it's very easy in this world now. Because we start to befriend the world and we become so entwined with it that we actually think it's wrong to separate ourselves from that. Hmm? Let me give you an example. Um, just in a Christian sense. I, I had some friends in the ministry many, many years back. And um, they, they caused division in churches. And I just said to them, I said, you're my friends, but, but I'm not hanging with you anymore. Because that which is on you, I don't want on me. Because, you know, you eventually start to think it's okay. No, it's not okay. No, it's not okay. Because actually it brings a great bondage upon people. I know it's very quiet in this Presbyterian church, but that's okay. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you killed his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. You know, this is ruthless. God is ruthless with this. Because the issue is that when we start to cavort with the gods of the system, it actually brings great bondage upon people. You know, this country is under great duress. Great duress, great pressure, great stress, great oppression. And sadly, a lot of Christians are in that. Because they become one with the culture. Hmm? Christians in this day and age, in this nation, cannot even agree on biblical issues. Biblical sexuality. Abortion. Amen drunkenness. So people cannot even agree on these things. Well, if we cannot agree on it, let's go back to God and see what God says. And that's the difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing. Are you saying, Pastor, that we should not love people? No, we should love people. But our goal and our aim is to bring people to Christ. Our goal and our aim is not to befriend the world and become like them. Our goal and our aim is to introduce them and to draw them into the love of God because the love of God sets people free and heals people. It's the only thing that can. The devil cannot do it. And the devil is pretty happy in keeping people bound and, 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 and oppressed their whole lives. He's pretty happy in doing that. Amen. Now we're talking about setting people free. 
So anyway, let's continue. So God, God deals with it very, very, very clearly. And let's go to Numbers 25. So, so what happens is, is God deals with it. He deals with a lot of issues. They, they kill people. Look, this is the way it works, right? You know, we're not going to kill people here. But you know that old man has to be crucified with Christ. The Bible says, Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live in the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. You see, yes, the issue is that God killed them in the, in the Old Testament. So there's a type and a shadow. The type and the shadow for us is now is get back to the cross of Jesus because there's power in the cross. There's power in the cross. We need to weep for our friends and our family. We need to, as Joel 2 says, weep between the porch and the altar. We need to weep for the nation. We need to weep for those who are bound in sin those who have lost purpose, those who don't know what their identity is, who don't know what God has made them. We have to weep and intercede and intercede until we see a move of God and something shifts and change. Have great compassion. Amen. The issue is if we give up on our God-given purpose to have great compassion and love for populations. We stop praying for them. We stop praying for them. And instead of praying for them, we now identify with them and we become one with the culture. And therefore, these demonic things begin to infiltrate our lives and we wonder why we can never have that breakthrough that God has intended for us. I hope you got this. Amen. So he says, I'm teaching the Word of God here. Numbers 25, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what God says. Firstly, He deals with the leaders. He deals with the people. Then He says to Moses, in verse 17, Harass the Midianites. What must you do with the Midianites? Harass them. Why is it that people are harassed by demonic activity? We should be harassing them. Harass the Midianites. Now, if you understand the Midianites, in Judges chapter 6, you will see, and right through the book of Judges, you will see that whenever the children of Israel had a harvest, the Midianites would come down and steal the harvest. So we see, we even see Gideon hiding away in the winepress, threshing the wheat, hiding away in case the Midianites come and steal the harvest. You see, that's what Midianites do. That's what the Spirit does. That's what demonic activity does. It always will steal your harvest. You've got something, you've got a breakthrough, there's an open door and you're pushing through and suddenly it's gone. That's exactly what that demonic thing wants to do is steal the harvest every time. But what does God say to Moses? He says, I want you to harass the Midianites, go after them and deal with them. Come on, attack them for they harassed you. Let's go to verse 18 with the schemes. Listen, they harassed you with the schemes by which they seduced you. Put it up on the screen in verse 17, harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby. Amen. Are, are we are we on there? Is it? I want you to see it. Okay. Not. Okay. Numbers twenty-five. Harass the Midianites. Harass them. Attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes. Now, Ephesians 6 says the devil has got schemes against you. That's why we put on the armor of God. So there are satanic schemes against you to harass you. Now, we, the other way around, should be harassing the devil. We should be harassing those demonic activities that are coming against us, not running from them, not afraid of them. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Come on, this is important. He says, harass them. And he says, uh, 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 and, and, and deal with them and, and sort them out. You see, Midian, like I said, is always the harvest stealer. We gotta take back what is ours. We gotta take back what has been stolen from the church. We gotta stay, take back that, that, that purity, that clarity, that clarity of hearing God's voice, that purity of heart, where we know God, where we're led by the Spirit of God, that, 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 that compassion once again for a lost and a dying world out there that doesn't know Jesus, that desire to see them come to Christ, that will only come when we begin to deal with the, 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 these demonic spirits that have stolen our harvest for so long. So, 
in the New Testament, in the midst of a demonic culture. Now, that's why I suggest you go to Bible school as, my, as Pastor Sharon deals with the seven churches. But in the midst of a demonic culture, the church is born. That worship demons, that worship idols, that, that worship the Caesar, that worship their government. It's in the midst of that the church is born. It's in the midst of the greatest oppression the world has ever seen with the Romans oppressing uh, the Jewish nation. It's in that place that God births the church. And God causes revival to break out right throughout Turkey, Asia Minor. All these places that are steeped in demonic activity that if you didn't go to the temple and had sex with the temple prostitutes, you would not be able to do business. It's in that culture that God brings revival. It's in that culture that if the, the church of the Ephesians and the church of, uh, at Philippi is born in Galatia. It's in that culture that God raises up a church, amen, and begins to deal and break the back of the demonic culture. It's the church that does it, that, that what we are experiencing and what we have experienced, all the blessing we've seen in the Western culture comes from the Bible, amen, the Bible. The more we move away from that, the more people become bound. That's why we have nations in great trauma and great stress, great suicide, broken down, families messed up, children messed up on drugs every which way. Why? Because we become one with the culture and God is calling us to come out of that culture. Amen. Now listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, now these things, verse 6, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Amen. Now, this is in the New Testament. So God says, look, all that that you've seen in the Old Testament, I'm, I'm teaching you now because we have to rightly divide the Word of God here. All that you've seen in the Old Testament are an example that we learn now to help us. So He says that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Now, I know we hear the word lust and we think it's like some guy running around with his, hand, with his tongue out looking at girls. No, no, no. It's a little bit more than that. Okay. Amen. He says, and do not become idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Now, you know, you know that's the whole teaching I can teach you. There's a lot I can teach you on this here, the relevance of that, but I'm not going to do it now. But the issue is that, that they got so immersed in the culture that the culture influenced them and not them the culture. He says, don't tempt Christ. Does anyone know what tempting Christ is? If you go back to the Old Testament, you see it was rebellion against Moses. And he says in verse 10, nor complain as some of them complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. So there are things in our lives that, that we have to be very, very careful of because it actually dishonors God. It allows a gateway of the enemy. That's why praise is so important. That's why worship is so important. That's why being with other Christians is so important. And I'm not saying you've got to be with them all the time. We have enough time out there in the world with unsaved people and that's how it should be. We should be the salt and the light. Amen. But, but we should should be with Christians because just the short time that we have on a Sunday and in home cells is a vital thing to help us to be the salt and the light out there. God has made you. And you know what the amazing thing is, is is such is the power of the gospel. If you get it right, that one believer amongst a thousand unbelievers can change those thousand unbelievers because of the anointing in them. If we get this right. Like I said the other day, like I said during this week in prayer, that, that the, one, the one company that I worked for, the, uh, most of them, they were of other religions. By the time I left that company, every single one of them had made a commitment to Christ. Every single one. 
because God put me there. Amen. I, I know I was there to, to deal with architects and do this and do that. But, but, you know, that was great. But there's another reason why God put me there. Because God wanted to save some people. Amen. And I was never going to back down. I was just going to be there, love God, be the best person, be the best salesperson ever that they've ever had. And while I'm doing that, I, I, I'm going to be blessing what I do. At the same time, I'm going to lead people to Jesus Christ. Amen. Because one believer with God is a majority. That's how this is. So if you go into the world and think, man, I'm here to influence them, then it's a different mindset. But if it's, well, if we suddenly get sucked into everything else. Like I said last week, they called me the OJ kid, the orange juice kid. Because whilst they all did their thing, I just didn't do what they did. Amen. I just say to Christians often, you need to drink to get like me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 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 Give me some more wine, Holy Ghost wine. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. It says now, now verse 11, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. I'm teaching you here to help you, all right, to, to give you a bit of context. Uh, upon whom all the ends of the earth have come. Therefore, let him let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we need to walk very properly. We need to be accountable to each other. We need to stand with each other, not criticize each other, not, not slander each other, but stand with each other. Amen? Your, your enemy is not your brother and sister in Christ. Okay. I saw I'd throw that there. Verse 13, no temptation is overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He's talking to an idolatrous, uh, a, a church in an idolatrous culture. He says, I speak as wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. We all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh, and not those who eat of the sacrifice, partakers of the altar. What am I saying then? That an idol, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to an idol is anything wrong? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Yeah, is an important criteria. A lot of what the world is doing is demonic activity. I know it's cultural. I know it's laws being passed. I know it's tolerance. I know that. But as God says, I don't want you to be part of that because this has been sacrificed to altars of demonic activity. Amen. Come on, you got to get this. Because the challenge here in Australia, everybody thinks, well, you know, we're not like nobody else. We are okay. You know, we're not like those bad people from Africa who practice witchcraft and throw the bones and, oh, no, excuse me. There's a lot of demonic activity going on everywhere. And the Bible says, I don't want you put to partake of that. That doesn't mean that you're not there to minister to people, but you've got to get this right. We are not partaking and it's not legalism. Don't kid yourself. Because people are, here's the problem, and I'll show you. The Bible deals with this very clearly. He says, I don't want you to be like Balaam in the New Testament who taught Balak how to, how to, uh, uh, to, to seduce the people of God to commit immorality. This is not legalism. You know, I often like, you know, joke with the doctors in the church. I am a bit of a quack because I have, you know, I, I believe in health. I believe in looking after yourself. I really do. I believe in, in, in eating right. I believe in taking the right supplements. I believe in all those things. I believe that we need to wise up. That is important. But you know, uh, uh, let me, whilst I may know some of that, you know, I'm not going to go walk into a doctor's surgery and say, hey, doc, you know what, you, you see the way you're treating that patient. I don't think you should do that. The problem with the church is that church has got a little bit of knowledge, 
And anything they don't like, we write off to, to, we write off to legalism. Right? <laughs> it's a fact. It's a fact. Amen. We have a lot of engineers in the church. Imagine me rocking up like electrical. I, I know a little bit of electrical because I used to be a millwright electrician and a fitter when I was a young man. So I know a little bit about electrical. Let me tell the electrical engineer how to do these things. You know, look, I, know, I may know something about some electrical things, but, you know, I, I understand that that's not my forte. Amen. And it is a challenge that sometimes we have a little bit of knowledge, but the challenge is that when we get, when we get faced with the truth, it actually smashes our biases. Because that is the truth. We have biases. I, I, when I was a young Christian, I had a bias. I grew up in a white apartheid South Africa. I had a bias. And when I surrendered to Christ, God began to deal with me on that. And it's very difficult to be confronted with a bias. It's very difficult to be confronted with something you've actually believed and you hold to be true. Cognitive dissonance is what it's called. You've got these two opposing views. But ultimately, you've got to get back to what God says. What does God say about these things for freedom to come in our lives? Amen. <laughs> so he says, look. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than Him? It's 1 Samuel 15, 22. Let's look at this. 1 Samuel 15, 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king. So he says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. But stu and stubbornness is as idolatry. You know what stubbornness is? You know why God likens stubbornness to idolatry? Because we worship our own opinions above God. When we worship our own opinions and our biases that you grow up with in this culture, where, where propaganda is being pushed in our school system right here in Australia. In the universities, people grow up with a bias. And the moment they hear anything Christian that talks about certain things, they, they get uncomfortable. Amen. But we can get uncomfortable and not change and still live with bondage. Or we can get uncomfortable and say, God, help me. Help me, God, to change. You know, I was a racist. I grew up a racist. Believing that white people are better than black people. There was a strong bias. And to confront that was very difficult. To actually acknowledge. Because, you know, we all say, no, no, I'm not racist. No, I, I like them. Who's them? Right? I have no problem with them. Who's them? Is this us and them? And God started to deal with my biases. And when we deal with our biases... Those things that we hold culturally true, which oppose God in every area. Freedom comes. That's why I was willing to go against the grain in South Africa as a young preacher. My wife and I, 25 years old, and actively bring black people into the church when it was against the law. Actively. Because God dealt with my bias. It was hard. It was very hard. Are you with me tonight? I'm teaching this. This is deep stuff. But if I can actually get your heart to open up, 
and realize maybe some of the things I believe are not biblical. And Lord, help me to align with biblical things. It doesn't make you less of a human being. It makes you the greatest of human beings. It makes you more full of love, more full of mercy, more able to help the broken, more able to set people free, more able to carry a greater anointing in God, to set the captives free. It enables you to do greater things in God. Amen. So the early church had persecution. Not because they were Christian, but because of their exclusive faith in Jesus and His claims. You see, the early church's claims, and this is the issue that the world has with Christians right now, is we have an exclusive claim as to who Jesus is and what His demands are and what His commands are. It's very hard. And it's coming to that point in our lives and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. So let's talk about these things. Let's talk about fortune-telling, horoscopes. Let's talk about the ideology of abortion. And again, I will say to you, anyone who's had an abortion, we show great mercy to and great grace to and healing to. But the ideology of abortion is demonic at its very roots, especially now at full-term abortion. It starts in one place, but it ends in a place that the culture is unable to pull back from until the church arises. Divination, the heart of the occult, manipulation of demonic sources, astrology. We trust God or the zodiac, but not both. Enchanters, someone satanically endowed to produce seductive spells. Witchcraft, witches, includes its modern organized counterparts, Wicca, Reiki, charmers, ones who manipulate objects or beings via demonic power, consulter with familiar spirits, one who gleans knowledge from a demonic contact, wizards, practitioners, magical arts. These are a lot of things, necromancing. You know, this stuff is going on all the times, and a lot of Christians actually begin to dabble in these things. Now, well, a horoscope is not harmless, right? Okay. But God says it is. Amen. Oh, no, to go, to go buy a statue of another religion, it's, not a, it's, just, it's, it's just a cultural thing I bring to my home. It's okay. No, it's not okay. Because those things are called fetishes. A fetish is simply this. It's an object regarded with awe as being the embodiment or habitation of a potent spirit or having magical potency. That's what it is. So people bring these things which are like fetishes into their homes and they think it's okay. Those things carry demonic spirits. People actually worship these things. There are people in this church who've come out of that. Those were the things they used to do. They've come, in, they've come out of that, and they will tell you exactly what it is. But sometimes the enlightened Christian think it's okay. I'll just take that home. I'll put it on my mantelpiece. Amen. Secondly, a fetish is any object eliciting unquestioning reverence, respect, or devotion. Thirdly, it's any object or non-genital part of the body that causes habitual erotic response or fixation. Those are fetishes. You say, Pastor, is this in the church? All over. Not yet, right? Amen. You know, listen, look, one thing you'll understand about me, I'll, I'll tell you the truth but I'll never reject you. I'll help you and I'll walk through this with you and break it to see you delivered. And that's how every Christian should be. Amen. Every Christian to get people free. We have to carry the anointing to set people free. 
We have to have great compassion upon people. But you know, if I don't call this out, people just live with this. Hmm? Now, I'm not saying you must go be so, you know, some people like that, like, let me just scratch through everything. Oh, I see, what's the bangle you have on there? You know, no, 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 you'll know. You'll know. Amen. You'll know. Statues. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. I'm nearly done. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord is Christ with, with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 17. And here's the key. This is what God is asking of His church in this day. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Amen. Do not. He says, come out from among them. Listen, let me just tell you. You know, when I, be, when I got saved, God had to do a work in me. And, and it was very, very hard for me. I'll tell you right now. Very hard because I love people. I love, I mean, I have friends. I've, I've had friends since like, like, like the first year of school that are still my friends. That's the type of person I am. But you know, I knew for a time when I got saved, when I gave my life to Jesus, when God sorted me out, I knew for a time I had to totally disappear from all of my friends. Totally. I had to come out for God to do a work in me to break that demonic activity, the connections I had to my friends and the lifestyle we were living. I had to come out from among that and actually allow God to deal with that. And listen, there was no ways I could continue to go with them and do the stuff I did with them and think that God would ever use me or I would ever grow as a Christian. God said to me, I knew, I just knew the day I surrendered to Jesus. Jesus, I knew, God, from this day, my friends will see me no more. Amen. Come on, no more. They never saw me for months and months and months until I was at a place where I could go and deal and stand and minister to them and lead them to Jesus. They're still my friends today. Many of them have come to Christ. I've led many of them to Christ. Amen. But I knew that God had to do a work in me. But here's the deal. Don't think that you are stronger if you're in a place of weakness, that you're stronger than these demonic forces that are operating in the world. If you don't come out from among them and say, I'm cutting this all from my life and I'm going to allow God to deal with me and work in me so that you can go back and be a voice of hope and a voice of deliverance. Amen. And that's hard. It was hard for me because that's how much I love people. My wife will tell you, I've got friends all over. I've got friends from grade one, from five years old. They're still my friends. I still keep contact with them. I've got friends everywhere from the army. I've got friends all over the world. I keep contact with them because that's me. That's the type of person I am. And, and it was hard for me, but having to sacrifice that for the sake of my salvation in order for me to go back and bring them to Christ. What's more important? Had I not done that, I would not have been able to lead many of them to Christ. My one friend, Mitch, who I met in the army, we were on kitchen duty that week. We met in the army. We became friends and, and we, we all hung around together. Mitch, wonderful, wonderful person. But I remember moving to Cape Town, planting our church in Cape Town. And, um, and, I, and I knew he lived in Cape Town, and I went looking for him. Because him and his wife were, were hooked on crack cocaine. And I found them one day. I walked into his house. And I started to minister the gospel to him. And I brought him to our church that we planted there. They got saved, radically saved. 
drug addicts radically saved that they in turn became such a blessing they would look after 40 to 50 young men and women children they would look after people all the time they were taking people off the streets they were taking children off the streets they were helping I tell you what they became an absolute blessing they gave their home up for the purpose of God I went back to their home years later and there were people everywhere staying everywhere they built on stuff they did stuff the man worked he worked uh, from from seven in the morning to five o'clock in in the afternoon as a fitter and a turner and he made money but he still looked after all those people he ministered to the gospel had I not led him to Christ what would have happened to those people what would have happened to him and he will tell you He's my friend, I love him. He will tell you that at times I wasn't easy with him because I knew God was doing something in him. And sometimes I would see that he would slip back into that. And I'd actually be so hard with him. So Victor, you think I'm hard on you? Uh, it's a walk in the park. Because you've got to see destiny in people. You've got to see what's more important. Your friendship or that man or that woman's destiny. This is why we need to come out. This is why we've got to start letting things go. Amen. And he says, come out from among them. And don't touch what is unclean. Are you learning tonight? I trust you're learning because this is important for the day and the time in which we're living. I know it's hard. I know some of the things we have been confronted with are very difficult. Very difficult. But are you willing to sacrifice certain things right now, short term, for long term breakthrough? Amen. Here's what God says in Revelation chapter 2. He says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So let me just help you right now. You know, maybe you've committed sexual immorality and you've, and you've sorted it out, you've repented before God. But what this is, is about a spirit that has gotten hold of this 21st generation church, 21st century church, that thinks that sexual immorality is okay. Thinking that connecting with demonic activity is okay. You see, these are the things that God is dealing with. And in Revelations, it deals very strongly with these things. So what happens as I close off now? The band can come up. Acts 19. I mean, I'm trying to be as honest as I can with you tonight. Because there are people here that things have to go. Maybe there are certain relationships that have to be broken short-term for long-term blessing. Or maybe there's a, a, a say, Lord, give me a, a new vision for my friends and I can bring them to Christ. Or maybe, God, I, I, I'm associated with demonic things, fortune-telling, astrology. I've gone to these things, and I've just allowed these things to permeate my life. Acts 19, it says, And this became known to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on all of them. And the name of the Lord was, Lord Jesus was magnified. Here's what happens when Jesus is magnified. Verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And also many, imagine that. <laughs> Amen. They came confessing and telling their deeds. Now, but church is like, we've got to be so prim and proper. You know, it's like, church, like, listen, man. People are broken. People need Jesus. We're not here to judge people's sin. We're here to free them of their sin. We're not here to destroy people. We're here to help them. That's why we're here. And the church has to be the place where people come and say, I've struggled with this. This is something I've struggled with, and I've just given into it, and I've made it my identity, but this is not who I am. I want to be that person God has made me to be. The church has to be 
big enough and free enough to say, come. Come as you are. Let Jesus work in you. And it says they confess their deeds, telling their deeds. And also many of those who practice magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the Word of God grew mightily and prevailed. So what happened when they did that? The Word of God grew mightily and prevailed. You know, as you all know, I love music. I love music. You know, it's just me. I love music. I love, I love music. I love, I love rock. I love guitar. I love it. You know, as a, young, as a young person, I had so much music. I really had so much music. When I got saved, I had so much music. The funny thing is, when I made right with God, I knew I had to get rid of it. Lots and lots of music. Because a lot of those, that music was connected to demonic activity. The bands like Thin Lizzy and all these bands, great musicians, but connected to the occult. A lot of these people we're listening to in these days, sometimes when I've been in the gym, just swearing going on like that, I'll go to the guys, excuse me, do you know what's playing here? You see, people are so connected, and music is one of the big influences in our lives today. Not realizing that a lot of these people worship demonic gods, are connected to the yacht cult. A lot of these pop stars, a lot of these actresses, actors that we, we so revere themselves are so anti-Christ. It's just not funny. And we think they're heroes. They're not heroes. Those are not the people that I want they, them to be a, a role model to my children or, or my, my grandchildren one day when they do come and they will come in abundance. But here's the deal. They, those are not the people that I want to influence my future generation. Amen. I, I'll tell you what, you know, it's like this, you know, the anointing, the anointing is so powerful and so, so amazing. I was watching Evan. Evan is one and a half, one and a half. I don't know if you know Evan. Evan is one and a half. You know, he, he, he's caught, he's here in the prayer, he's here. Uh, uh, and that's why keep, keep your children, they, 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 the anointing will saturate them. One and a half. That, 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 that little toddler, one and a half, has the ability to play drums like I've not seen in anybody. He sat there this morning playing drums there. Davidi was holding him on the chair. His ability to play drums and to hit the snare to hit, is incredible. Why? Because he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's under the influence of the house of God. Amen. So I want to ask you, what influence are we bringing into our homes? What influence are we bringing into our lives? Because the influence that we allow in our lives is actually what we're going to live out in our lives. Amen. So I I want to tell you what, this is going to be a great day of revival, a great day of revival. Come on, let's stand.